Welcome to New Paradigm of Education podcast. I'm your host, Monique Sayers, along with Carrie Jessalo. A new paradigm of education is not about just sitting in front of a classroom and educating children in the old paradigm style. A new paradigm is about collaboration with a range of educators, parents, mentors, business owners, whoever wants to be a part of creating the next generation of change makers. That's what I classify as a new paradigm of education, as well as an energetic shift within the world. And as we know it, one of those bypasses is the pandemic. Not that this this podcast is about the pandemic, but it's just showing us a, a three-dimensional aspect of what a um, new paradigm can look like. And what comes from that is beauty, <laughs> grace, and manifestation. So here we are with beautiful uh, Jennifer Bracey, who's an educator, a parent from the United States. She works with children and families with healing using the TBE method, which means uh, transforming experience-based brain and somatic work. So it's really beautiful to have you here with us. Welcome. Um, Thank you. you Thank you all for having me. Yeah. Would you like to just share a bit about yourself? You can just like talk about your educational background or your children or whatever you want to share. Just introduce yourself a little. I went, I, um, my degree is in education, the traditional way of educating. And I popped into the school system and thought that I would follow the rules, but I didn't really follow the rules most of the time when I was in the classroom. Um, and then I transitioned to educating in a church setting. So in a religious setting, and that's where part of what started stirring for me was the depth of our children and the need for being intergenerational with our connections. And so um, from there, I actually went to seminary, but then have been doing trauma work with children and families for years now and that seems to be a place where I enjoy being in that journey with um, people as they as they go through that healing process Um, and when you think about children that have been through trauma and parents that have lived in trauma and then going to school to try to learn it's just really hard and so what I hope to do is to work with those families to help them understand how to holistically take care of their children. And then I also like to work with the educators. I do a lot of observations in classrooms and don't always interact with the kids as much as just observing what's going on in the classroom to help the teacher better understand what's going on and what to do to support that child in a different way. Yeah, that's massive, uh, massive work that you're doing um, for the children and also for the educators. I think it's so important, like even myself as an educator, to be able to be mindful of what I'm doing in a classroom or even in my own home as a parent, because I feel like the children naturally are going to be vibrating that from us anyway. And I'd like to go, yeah, a little bit more into that, um, into that with you. Like, so what brought you into like... um, like this type of work, like exactly, like how did it come about? And did you want to share what it means as well, this transforming experience-based brain for our guests? Because we probably don't know what that means at the moment. That's fine. I actually started doing my trauma training with the Trauma Institute um, and did somatic work. And so the somatic healing is, is all about how our body reacts to traumas and how we hold those traumas in our body and how because we hold that trauma in our body we're affected we it causes illness medically 
physically, emotionally, all those kinds of things that happen because we're holding on to those traumas. And so for years I did somatic work, but what I realized with children was that they really needed a way to understand how to have the words to say what's going on with them. They didn't always, just because they can say they're mad or they can have a fit, they don't have a word to talk through that so that I can know in a sensing way how to get to that with them, right? So I wanted to go into their autonomic nervous system, to their heart rate, to their kidneys, to all those functionings that happen all the time. I wanted to go into that and slow that down and to help them settle. Mm. And so what I realized was they, they did not have an understanding of how to do that unless I brought in the sensory system. So hearing, tasting, touching, all of those kinds of things I brought in and used in parallel with my somatic work to help children titrate to settle. But a lot of times what I find is when I was doing the somatic work and in particular with the sensory work is that I needed to teach them how to settle and ground before I could teach them anything else. You're going to have your fit and you can be angry. You're going to feel sad and you get to feel sad but before I can really work through how that feels or so-and-so did something to you and you're exploding the cause of that, I first have to teach them how to settle and to ground, to connect to the universe in a way that there's that grounding piece that gets them in a connected way to even pay attention to their bodies, right? So I've done that work for years and years. And just in the last year and a half, two years, I think, I started um, doing my training with TEB. And transformational informative brain work really is about there's touch work involved in it, but it doesn't have to be. I actually took my training online. And so it is an intuitive kind of I'm touching your shoulder and your hip and I'm opening up your heart and I'm opening up your lungs and I'm co-regulating with them either on the computer or if they're on the table. And so what I'm doing there is I'm working with a brain to take care of pre-verbal developmental wounds. And so what I'm finding is my somatic work needed to be undergirded with a sensory piece for our kids. But now what I'm realizing is even as infants and in the womb, there's lots of things that happen and not all of it is always good. And then we bring all of that stuff in to the world and how do we do it? Well, we don't know how to do it because we didn't have words. And so they don't have to have words. I just work with them energetically through their body, using the brain. I tell the kids we're creating new train tracks in their brain. That's what we're doing. Your train doesn't go this far. We want it to go over here. And so that's what I tell them that we do. And so I do touch work with that um, to, to work through that with them. It's amazing work. It's fun. It's um, amazing to watch the children settle, just like I had to do with the SE and the sensory work. I, I spent a lot of time on our initial protocol and just getting them to land. Some of my children do not even land on the table. And so I need to teach them how to even land on the table before I can do anything else to slip into their little nervous systems. So so, so Jennifer has been working with my kids, specifically my oldest since he was four, I think she has, she had this amazing camp on her property, 
property called Journey Camp. And it was a sensory somatic camp, but it was all, you know, um, the, the, the look of it was, it was all fun, right? The kids just had so much fun. They were gardening and getting into the dirt and she has a labyrinth on her property. So, you know, she was teaching mindfulness through walking the labyrinth and painting and, you know, all these different things, which was really helpful for um, Elijah because he was so out there. He just like, he did not know how to be in his body at all. And so, you know, although I wanted him to stay up in that airy fairy place, because I think there's beauty in that, he also needed to know how to like be in a body. Um, and so Jennifer's uh, work with that was, transformational really because he's at such a great place now at 12 um, where he really really struggled for a while so that's how I met Jennifer we met at um I, I remember we met at the arts councils it was like when I first moved to this little town and I just like knew I had to, to I knew I had to connect with you <laughs> yeah exactly the mm -hmm. camp was really fun because I use that sensory input out in nature, like the kids knew to bring their galoshes and bring their raincoats and a change of clothes because we were not going inside hot, cold, or indifferent. The only reason we went inside if it stormed. And so they were always outside and towards right before COVID, the last camp that we had, the children, I did not structure their days at all. And it was very interesting that the first day they didn't know what to do. They would follow us around, me and the counselors. They had no idea what to do because somebody had always told them what to do. Mm. If, after you do this, do that, right? And so I wouldn't tell them what to do. And so it took them till about Wednesday to realize that they could go anywhere on the property as long as somebody knew where they were and they could do whatever they wanted to. But everything was set up in a way, like Carrie was saying, that I was getting into their nervous system. And then we would come and have a meditation time or a settling time. And then I would raise their nervous systems up and settle them so that they would be aware of what that feels like. Because we all know that our nervous system on a daily basis goes up and down and up and down. We just don't need to be too far up or too far down. And so I tried in a day to bring it up and bring it down and bring it up and bring it down so that they felt that to be normal and okay and safe. And so we would do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll share an activity that we did. Um, unless you have something else you want to ask, I was going to no, share it. No, I'd love to hear it. I was just going to reflect back and just say it's amazing work that you're doing. And even what you were sharing about the nervous system, because um, we always focus so much on settling. So I really like this process where you're um, also bringing in the awareness of the unsettlement, if you want to call it that, um, because I think for children, because that's kind of the normalized state, the traumatized state is this feeling of being unsettled and the trauma sits there and that feels normal, right? So then for exactly. them to come out of feeling normal, then to go back into that and then to create a new normal, I think that's amazing work. And I don't think that many people I know are doing that. I think it's really unique in that way. I haven't come across that before. So that's, that's amazing. Well, it's interesting in that I had a young child that was at journey camp and Carrie will know some of the activities we did were very tactile and sticky and messy whether it was paper mache or working with sand or dirt or whatever. And the children would come to me and say, I need to go wash my hands. And I would say, no, you need to stay right there and finish this little bit. And then you can walk, go wash your hands and then you can come back. So I was even titrating into their nervous system with things like that. 
And it's interesting that I have one of those children now that's in getting ready to go into middle school. And I could remind her of that, that activity and paralleled it with what I'm doing now with her and saying, I'm going to go in and it's not going to be comfortable, but then we're going to come back and you're going to be okay. And so it was interesting that I was able to use that to help her understand, oh, that's what that feels like, but then I'm okay. You know, and, and so, and I'll tell you the activated system, the trauma size system that stays activated instead of shut down is almost easier to work with. Mm. I'm coming across a lot of kids now that their systems are shut down mm. and bringing that up into normal is very difficult, much harder than bringing it down. Uh, yes. Mm. So that quiet child that's not causing any disruption is dealing with as much as the one that's on high alert. They're just mm. on high alert and hunkered down, right? Mm. I got to say, I can be quiet where the other one's gone. I, I can't be safe. I, I'm not safe. I got to be loud. Somebody's got to save me. Right. And so I am seeing children that are very shut down. Yeah. Um, what do you, that, so do you think it's the trauma that's shutting them down? It's, I got to feel the, safe. That's their trauma response. That's their trauma response. That's their defense mechanism. And I, I this is, and it's just interesting that I'm seeing more of it. Is it because of mm-hmm. what's been going on in the last several years? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just very aware of, I know when I work with adults, I, you know, and I have some adults that were very cognitive bound. And so I'd have to take them away. I'd have to get them into their bodies in a different way, but I had some that were shut down, but right now I'm just a lot of kids that are shut down. It's very interesting. Hmm. It's very interesting. It's like being a good child, like being a quiet child. Oh, they're so quiet. They're a good child, you know, and that goes back to the old paradigm of education where the teacher sits out the front of the room and says, be quiet students. And then although, you know, it's always, you're always giving time as a teacher to that disruptive, noisy child. Not that you want, I don't want to classify children in that way. I don't mean to say it in that way, but they're always the ones that are, you're like, all the energy's going there, all the energy's going there. And then it's like, but what about all the others in the room that are also equal and all deserve the energy as well? So it's a really good point that you've raised it's very uh, very necessary to also look out for the quiet children and just to see how they are and to check in with them so I, again your work is really powerful what you're doing <laughs> I'm so impressed <laughs> yeah I want to share uh, I want to share about an activity I, I've I've learned to give myself much more permission to talk more about screen time than I did even four or five years ago um, I I was probably one of the people, especially in our community, that was um, very strong, opinionated about the screen time. And um, we didn't need to do that. We needed to monitor it, all that kind of stuff. And I now than they have been. But um, one of the things that we do at camp is at the lower end of my house and on the property is what we call Compass Cove. And there's hammocks and a wobble board that's kind of a balancing thing and stumble stumps, but it's a grassy area and a fire pit. And so I lay a canvas out and I get the children to lay on their back and just to be still. And if they're really still and pay attention, the butterflies come into the canopy where the trees are. And it was very eye-opening for me to realize that the children could not find the butterflies because they did not have peripheral vision. Ah. So it wasn't a matter of they couldn't be still. 
It was a matter of if it didn't come right where they were looking, they did not notice anything other, mm. other than that. And I, I couldn't mm. figure it out for a while. And then I realized it's because of this. They're, they're right on the screen. They're right looking at the screen. And so when you think about safety and awareness of others, and you don't have any other vision, but this, that's not, that doesn't feel too safe. And so there's just so many things that really are affected by the fact that our kids are using electronics and being on the screen much more than they should be, even in school. I've had, I had an educator to tell me just this evening that she was told that they need to take this test on their computer. Why do they need a paper test? Why can you just not use their computer and take it on, on their laptop? And she's one that doesn't open the laptop very much at all anyway, unless she has to, right? The school computers or whatever. So, you know, she, so as an educator, she was told this is an imperative test that they must take. We have spent a lot of money to take this test, but we don't have enough money for you to pay cop make copies of it. We want you just wow. to take it on the, on the computer. And so, you know, we're losing an awareness, even in our schools, while we think that them getting a computer is the grandest thing ever. I'm looking at y'all. I'm not touching y'all. I can't smell y'all. I can't really have an awareness of y'all unless I'm really quiet and pay attention and really you're smart enough to intuitively get that. Right. It, but we're doing that to our children in the classroom. Right. You know, God, this is such a, it's such an interesting topic. I mean, we've had so much conversation, you know, about this, Jennifer and I, and, you know, there's like the screen time thing is always the challenge as a parent. Um, and, you know, and the thing is, is that there needs to be some kind of system, I think, to to balance everything. It just feels like it's out of balance because the, the technology is not going away. In fact, I think they're like born into this time. And I really feel like there's a part of their DNA that just is like programmed to understand it way easier and faster than I ever can. But there does need to be what's, what's happening is it's like so far out of balance, you know, that it's like they're, they're missing the connection, right? The, just like the person to person connection and the uh, sensory, what you're talking about, those sensory somatic, what like, touching, right? What are they touching? Right, right. Not mud, not dirt, not a crayon, not a pencil. Right. So there's got to be like more of that to balance the stuff that they're doing. And, um, you know, I just wonder how it all works together, but I, 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 um, I struggle with it myself. So, but you know that about me, um, just only because of, you know, we're all super busy and I'm doing, you know, my best to get them as much attention. And I'm thankful they go to a really good school where they're outside a lot, but, um, just like that's, that's an internal struggle that I have as a parent for sure. Well, you know, Carrie, I've said this for years and years is that I, I recognize even when I was saying years ago, um, be careful with your screen time. I recognize that parenting is just difficult in general. I have a almost 30 year old and I, you know, it's not easy, right? At any age, 
But what I say when I work with children that are really struggling, whether um, I, I will say to the parents, it's not that your child is bad or doesn't need to be doing the electronics or anything like that. It's a balance, just like you're saying. And so it's not that the world is bad and what we have now for our children is bad. It's a matter of we have to do things to counter counteract that. Right. And so I would send children home with different exercises to do to count because we just got to bring that balance in. When I was growing up and I don't need to share how old I am, but when I was growing up, I was outside all the time. I didn't have the tele. If we watched television, it was on Saturday night, you know, and it was with the family. It was never in an isolated room or anything like that. Right. Intergenerational conversations going on. I was at my grandparents all the time. And so oh, my daughter didn't have all of that either. And so we have to do things differently, not because it's bad, but because it's different. And I think mm -hmm. that it, it's up to all of us and you guys that have written this book to make that awareness out there and, you know, and, and to figure out how to get our education system to hear, we're not saying it's bad. We just say, we got to do it differently. We, mm -hmm. we got to do this differently. And what does that look like? And for us to be heard, I mean, we're teaching social, emotional and meditation in the schools, but it's really checking off a box guys in a lot of places. We're just checking off a box. We're not doing it deeply. Yeah. Because we got to take to give. Yeah, I agree with you about that. It's an embodiment that it, um, needs to happen. And um, yeah, like no need to segregate the subjects anymore. Just like an embodiment of the work itself. You, you become the mindfulness. And then that, like whatever you're learning is incorporated in that as well. And I also think what you're sharing around the technology um, that the mindfulness counteracts that and it also helps both with learning difficulties as well um, and I it also helps to open up your frontal lobe, uh, lobes again which I'm sure like I notice myself when I'm on a cell phone I can feel it closes so I can imagine it's not helping the um, I don't know the na names of the brain but you know the frontal lobe there and um, yeah so yeah I can see that that is also counterbalancing that as well so that's amazing. Um, I'm curious about this labyrinth because that to me is like super new paradigm and I love this kind of um, idea like it's like a fantasy for me like to have classrooms or schools or even non-classrooms like places like yours like facilities learning facilities like whatever you want to call it like with a labyrinth can you tell me like about that that's super exciting. <laughs> so I had a gentleman from in the mountains um, so that the labyrinth landed for because of my spiritual background and it was just I knew that I had a place for it and I knew I wanted to offer that on my property. And it just really was amazing to watch the children do it. But a gentleman from the mountains brought, I had rocks brought in from a local river. So it's all very connected to the land. And so he created the labyrinth on my property and um, we would walk the labyrinth at least once a day. Um, and, you know, I would let the children experiment with it, you know, being curious and that kind of thing. And, and then every day at camp, there was something else different that when they went into the labyrinth, they were processing. And then we would all get to the center and share. 
mm. and interact with each other. And then we would let go of, if it was something we needed to let go of, we would let go of it as we left. Right. And so, um, the children loved the labyrinth. That was the way we ended our day. And it, it was, it was never, Oh, do I have to do that? They were ready to do it. It was, you know, you got to pack up, let's go. We're going to the labyrinth and we never rarely was there not enough time to do the labyrinth the right way. It was amazing to watch those children take that pathway and interact with the rocks or the leaves or to pick up the pedal, the petals or the acorns or stones or whatever it, it's amazing their bodies were drawn to it in a way that people would say those children are not going to do that I, I never had a child that didn't want to do it never. never I love it it's amazing it's super it's healing and it's powerful and they're learning mm -hmm. so much and they're learning different things every moment like I can't even say what they're learning it's not even up to me to say what they're learning right it's I love it so much <laughs> I want to build a labyrinth yeah <laughs> We had wind chimes hanging around and just all kinds of different things. It was, yeah, it's, it's a great place. It's a great place. And I also yeah. wanted to ask you about the work you do with, um, you said you help parents and educators, educators as well. Like what do you do with them? Cause we've spoken a lot about the children. What do you do with um, the adults? So um, I have been into several schools. Lots of times what happens is I have a client, a child, that is really struggling and the struggle is obviously in school also and so they get to the point where can you just come talk to the teacher and so lots of times I'll just open up and share and do um, like a little mini workshop in um, in the schools and so I show the teachers how to have weighted blankets how to have lap buddies how to bring in different things to settle the children have a quiet area how to set up the room in different ways for them to calm down or like the school where Carrie's kids go, they actually have a room where they have a, have different things to do and that kind of thing. So I go into the schools and just show them different ways. I use um, the, um, uh, the, uh, you just had it right before we started. Oh yeah. TBE. You mean? No, essential oils. So I'll show them how to do that, have that going on. Yeah, sorry. Um, have that going on in the classroom. Um, just all kinds of things like that. Showing them how they need to sit on, some children really need to sit on like um, a cushion that has a bit of texture to it so they can actually feel their butt in the chair. Hmm. Or do they have to sit? Can they, you know, sit on the ball or those kinds of things? So that's what I do with the educators. And then as I was sharing earlier, I often just go and observe. And so I help teachers to understand how when children come in in the morning, how, how, does, how does that feel in their nervous system? Is it highly activating for some children? How can you do the entering into and leaving? And how do you do that so that it helps their nervous system to be a little more settled so that they can sit down and do their work when they have to? So I do a lot of observation. And then sometimes... I'll just look and observe one child. Like there's one child that the teacher is really struggling with. And so I'll, they won't even know I'm in the room and I'll just watch all the different things. And the teacher has so much that's going on. He or she may not have seen all of that, right? And mm -hmm. so I can say, this is where I'm seeing them very activated. This is where they could have some help settling and those kinds of things. So I help them with that. 
Wow, that's amazing. It's amazing that they have that support as well. And um, I have seen that in some schools that I've been in where they offer different textures and bowls and like bean bags and, and things, not in all the schools, but I've some, I'm really grateful that I have been in some of those schools and it's been really necessary because those schools in particular had a lot of um, children that really needed that type of learning. They, they weren't just the ones that would just want to sit. <laughs> not that any child just wants to sit, right? But it was necessary. So again, very powerful work. Did you want to say something, yeah. Carrie? Yeah. Oh, well, I wanted to say, okay, what did you call it? Sock buddy? Is that what you called it? Black buddy. Yeah. Okay. So I love these things and my kids made them at camp. And, and so what it is, what you take a sock and what did you put in it, Jennifer? Cause it's such rice. an easy thing. Rice. Rice. Oh. rice. Okay. So, and it's, and you tie it right. And, and kids get like kind of, you know, all over the place and they just need to settle. They sit down and they put it in their lap. And it's just like, it just is such an instant thing. My kids loved it. And it's so simple to make and it really settled them. It just kind of, I don't know, you can say technically what it did, but my kids loved that sock buddy. It's awareness of your body. Like if they're so far, like a lot, like he was out of his body all the time, wherever you're going to put that on your shoulders, on your lap, wherever you're going to, on your feet, wherever it is, it's like, oh, I can take a breath. My body's here. Oh, I can, I can settle a little bit. Um, some teachers, the teacher I was talking to earlier, she actually had weighted pillows made for all of her students. Wow. And so they can have them anytime during the day. It's not, oh, it's time to do meditation or quiet time, anything like that. You can go and get your lap buddy or your pillow anytime. And the other thing about that, that I kind of went off a little bit more than what some people might say is, some people say that you can only, you only need X of weight compared to your, the weight of the child, like the weighted blankets and stuff. I didn't do that. I did. I was very intentional at camp to let them go ahead and start doing their, their rice, filling their socks. If it's, it's like an athletic tube sock, so it can be long. Hmm. Um, and then I would go to each individual child before they tied their sock up. And I would make sure that they have the weight that they wanted not what somebody said they needed, but it's what they knew they could do because some children can't stand as much as others can and others need a lot. And mm. so I let each child make that decision. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that Carrie, because when she said it, I thought, oh, maybe I should know what that is, but I didn't realize that's what it was. I was just imagining sorry, soft, sorry. soft blankets because then she said blankets and I was like, oh, the blankets. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But I, I like this weight. Like the weight is kind of the calming aspect. Is it just to hold them down? Like almost like this, you know, when you sleep and you have all the blankets, is it that kind of calming effect? Is that the exactly. idea? It's exactly that. Oh. It's exactly that. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I'll, I'll say one one other really cool thing, although my kids didn't, I, they would get actually mad at me when I told them to use it, but this is when they're on their screen, right? She made these tea, um, this is like just two pieces of wood Pistols. for the kids to sit on while they're, you know, just to activate their core oh. and to keep them aware of their body, to sit on it while they're on their screen. My, oh, my kids would fight me they every time so I would bad. say, hey, get on your side <laughs> Wow. I yeah, if you're going to be on the screen, you got to be on your tea stall. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's so brilliant. Yeah. 
And do you do like healing as well on um, the parents, like this type of healing practice as well? Or is it mostly just you're just educating them on the environment and all of these amazing tools that you've just shared as well? Like, do you teach them mindfulness? or? It's very interesting. When I started working with children and my daughter had had trauma. And so a lot of times the the trauma therapist would ask what's going on at home. And I just didn't really make the connection until I started working with children on my own. Mm. And it was like, okay, if the nervous service system at home is on high alert, then the child's going to be on high alert. We co-regulate, right? Mm. So whatever's going on at home is going to be what's going on. And so when the, when the child is struggling in school or struggling at home with behaviors or learning or homework or whatever, then you know that the parent is highly activated. Well, that, that child's going to meet that. And so I do a lot of educating with the parents to help them understand if this is where you are, then this is what you need to do to shift it. Mm. Right. That's just, that's just part of what we have to own as a parent. So I got to do this so that the child can, you know, that, that immature nervous system can get to where it needs to be. So I end up spending as much time with the parents as I do the children. I um, I am one of those who, if I have an active client, I am pretty much on call 24-7 and will answer phone calls and text at any time, basically, to support the parents. Because I figure at, at that time when that system is trying to heal, that's exactly when everybody needs the support. And so I, I make sure that I'm available to help them understand what do I do now? This is what's going on. I don't know how to settle myself. And so I give them tools in their own toolbox for that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's so important and so necessary. Um, And probably a missing piece for some people. They don't realize that because they're so focused on the child and not themselves. So it's really, it's really good to hear that again. Definitely. Well, it goes for the educator also. Yes, I know. I know myself. I shared in my story about that, my own journey as well, like (laughs) around that process of, um, yeah, just like the way I would enter a classroom really would change how the child would react to me. Like when I was first learning and I was nervous, the children would just feel that. And they'd just be like jumping around, having a great time. And I'd just be like, oh, like this little, <laughs> didn't know what to do, like wondering what to do. And anyway, that was like, you know, when you're first learning to teach. But then obviously later on, the more I practice mindfulness, like the, the children were just like super calm, super happy and just totally mirroring what I was creating and what they were creating, you know, because they were giving me the joy as well. So it was like this kind of mutual co-creation that we had happening. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I I ask all of the guests that join us um, what they believe is a new paradigm of education or a vision for the new paradigm. Do you have one that you'd like to share with us around that? I I think what the wish or the um, desire is to get our children outside more. And um, I I really am struggling with, um, in the United States, I'm really struggling with um, the state and regulations, and then it trickling down to our local school systems in a way that's just only teaching, um, the, the, um, the, what needs to be learned to, for a test. And we've said this for years and years and years, but when you tell a teacher how to structure her day to teach what needs to be taught, there, there just is not an allowance for a teacher to be real with our children. And so I, I haven't been in the classroom except to observe in years and years and years. 
but I can't imagine being told what time, what I'm supposed to teach at what time every day that disregards the child in the classroom and what's going on that day for those children as a group. And so if anything, I, I, I would like for there to be a little bit less of control in the classrooms and the teachers to be able to teach what they and how they know how to teach. We, they, the teachers know how to do this. They just need to be allowed to do this. They know they need to be, they need to be back. People need to back off. Yeah. I think, I think it just takes a stand of all teachers just making that stand as well. Like, I think it's really powerful what you've shared um, and just taking a stand in the day to make space for that. And, you know, what's going to happen. You're going to end up with happy children. You're going to end up with like children that want to learn. You're going to end up with like results. And then maybe they'll be like, Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, like it'll just, it'll prove itself rather than it's these things like little box structures and I know there's this pressure and all of this stuff when you were sharing everything that you shared in the beginning about your beautiful environment and everything you do that for me is a new paradigm I'm like bring all of that into schools let's set labyrinths up in the ovals <laughs> you know let's bring in the crystals let's bring in the healers let's, that's that's what I was sharing at the start it's like my vision is all of us like everybody has a gift and the children yes. each have a gift and if we are all using our gifts and our talents it's like total abundance for everybody and joy and I just imagine it to be so beautiful this place of learning so it's really powerful what you're sharing with us it's, it's um you know we know so many children now that are the parents are homeschooling and are unschooling and doing all those kinds of things and it's a reaction to what's happening in our public schools and it doesn't have to be this way right it, it can be like you're describing right um but it's getting it's being brave enough to to do that in the classroom within the system I just didn't want to buck a system all the time and so I was told I had to use the spelling books that the children had to be issued a spelling book well I teach spelling I just don't teach it out of that book I teach other ways of doing that and so I so I assigned the spelling books to everybody and then we stuck them in the desk and we turned the desk around and we never opened the spelling books that I issued <laughs> spelling books. But, you know, not everybody is comfortable doing that in the system. Um, yeah. So we, I hope for um, our teachers to be more empowered to do what they know is the right thing for the children. Yeah. yeah, I think the teachers have it in them, like the spelling, what you're saying, I used to do the same, just play games all day. And I'm like, well, if they, if they can then show me that they know this word somehow, then that's it. Exactly. Tick. <laughs> if we have to still give ticks, I hate this tick system thing, but yeah, totally. I hear you on that. And there's, it's going to be changing. As you said, I think this is what's beautiful, but what is happening with the world that um, people are looking for other ways where, you know, people are homeschooling and unschooling. And I love it. I love that there's going to be this creative flow and the schools will also be, I think, reflecting that as well. I, I think so. I hope, I hope so. I hope that that, that is a beautiful ripple effect of what happens, right? Just what I hope. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us and connecting with us today. <laughs> Did you want to share anything before we left either of you? I'm so many more words to say. I'm just, you know, I'm just so thankful um, for Jennifer. Jennifer is, you know, Jennifer and then um, 
the school that the kids go to are, is really, you know, ahead of its time and, and hopefully will be the norm. And, you know, I live in a really small town. Like I, I remember when you started your camp, right. And I was just amazed that in this small little town, um, that you had such a progressive camp. It would, it, I always said that it was the camp that I would design if ever I was designing a camp or wanted to design a camp. It really just had all of those aspects to it. And so I just want to express my gratitude for you, Jennifer, and just your place in the, in my children's life, but also in just the bigger movement towards towards supporting our children and the creative beings that they are. Um, they, there's so much potential for what they can do in the world if they're given the freedom to be themselves and not be pushed into a mold. So I'm just thankful for you, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm thankful for all of y'all and thank y'all for giving me the time to share. My heart is totally for children and absolutely we ha they have to get their education but there's so many other ways to do it than what we've been seeing so i'm i'm ready for this shift awesome and we'll put, we'll put all your um your website or something to promote you also in the, the notes as well because your work is really powerful maybe some people want to reach you online for some some help with something i know you've got some amazing things to share i've just learned so much myself in this time that we've been together so it's really Thank powerful you. Okay, thank so thank you. thank you everybody for tuning in today uh -huh. to a new paradigm of education podcast. And I will sign off with um, Mahatma Gandhi's quote of be the change that you wish to see in this world. So namaste everybody.